And uh, guys, if, uh, if we're having the same issues with the, uh, with the sermon notes, then uh, I just encourage you to go ahead and shut it down and I'll just be a little bit more diligent to get the information out to the folk here. But we're in our fourth installment in our series that I've called Dealing With Your Dysfunction. And we're attempting to help you get a hold of what it will take to make you and keep you a whole person. We want life to work right for you. Uh, We want you to experience God's best in your life. We want you to know what it means to walk in joy and peace and abundance and all the marvelous promises that God has for each one of us. We want you to walk in those things. But in order to do that, you've got to deal with those areas of life that aren't functioning according to plan. And that's why we say it is time to deal with your dysfunction because dysfunction basically is things in your life not operating according to God's plan. And so everyone has a little dysfunction in their life. There's nobody here that can say, I've got it all together. Just by virtue of that statement tells me that you are dysfunctional. Because there are areas of life, being human beings, all of us being born in sin, having those tendencies, we're going to come up short on occasion. And so this is for everyone. And we're saving you thousands of dollars by you not having to go get instantly professional therapy. But that you can get some some foundational basic things under your belt. And if you'll apply them, and if you'll walk them out, you will find yourself in a far better position than many of your friends and neighbors, and unfortunately, sometimes even those that would call themselves Christians. So we want to make sure you have this under your belt. I want to show you this morning another clip of the movie, What About Bob? And... And it's, like I said, it's one of my favorite movies. I'm going to give you just a brief background and then we'll get started with the clip. Bob has every phobia known to man. He has every dysfunction that could be available. Bob is played by Bill Murray. And in this particular uh, clip, he is just beginning to meet his psychiatrist, Dr. Leo Marvin. And uh, they're having an interview. And I'm picking it up right towards the end of their interview as the psychiatrist is trying to figure out what's wrong with Bob, he's already given him a long list of issues that are going on in his life. But then what happens at the end of the interview is that uh, the psychiatrist begins to share with him what it's going to take in order for him to get better. And so, guys, you can begin to douse the lights. Please watch the screen overhead. Are you married? I'm divorced. Would you like to talk about that? There are two types of people in this world. Those who like Neil Diamond and those who don't. My ex-wife loves him. I see. So what you're saying is that even though you are an almost paralyzed, multiphobic personality that is in a constant state of panic, your wife did not leave you. You left her because she liked Neil Diamond. Now, you're saying that maybe, maybe I didn't leave her because she likes Neil Diamond, but maybe, maybe she left me? Yes. Ow! 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 Dr. Marvin, you can help me. For the first time in my life, I feel like there's hope. I feel like I can be somebody. 
Bob, there's an old saying that the best psychiatrist in the world is the one right inside of you. Yeah. I can help you. Yes. Thank you. Bob, there is a groundbreaking new book that has just come out. Ah. Now, not everything in this book, of course, applies to you, but I'm sure that you can see, when you see the title, exactly how it could help. Baby steps? It means setting small, reasonable goals for yourself, one day at a time. One tiny step at a time. Baby steps. For instance, um, when you leave this office, don't think about everything you have to do in order to get out of the building. Just think of what you must do to get out of this room. And when you get to the hall, deal with that hall and so forth. You see? Baby steps. Baby steps. Oh, boy. Baby steps. Baby steps. Baby steps through the office. Baby steps out the door. It works. It works. All I have to do is take one little step at a time, and I can do anything. Mm. Baby step around the office. <laughs> Baby step around the office. That should give you a lot to digest while I'm on vacation. V vacation? Oh, certainly my secretary told you. As of this afternoon, I'm taking my family on vacation until Labor Day. That's a month. What if I need you? What if I need to talk? Well, my associate, Dr. Harmon, would be happy to talk. And Bob, I'll be back. Just read baby steps. Baby steps out of the office. Very good. Baby steps to the hall. Very good, Bob. Keep going. That's it. Bye. I'll see you in a month. Baby steps to the elevator. Baby steps to the elevator. July 31st, Bob Wiley. Introductory interview. Multiphobic personality, characterized by acute separation anxiety and extreme need for family connections. Bill the usual rate for the interview and uh, $29.95 for the book. It's your publisher. He says Good Morning America is definitely coming to Lake Winnipesaukee. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to show you that clip because the key to overcoming any dysfunction you have obviously is realizing that it's going to take some energy on your part in order for it to be overcome. You will have to keep motivated to begin to see some tangible change take place in your life. Uh, for many of you, you have had occasion and there's nothing to be ashamed by it. In fact, as I look across the congregation and even those that I know are, are away for this Sunday, Many, many people have sat in my office at one time or another and they've shared with me particular issues of their life, particular issues of their family, perhaps of their marriage or their relationship, any one of a number of things they'll begin to share 
And almost invariably, if you sit in my office, and those of you that have been there, you're going you're gonna to remember this story that I tell almost everyone. It comes from Stephen Covey's book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And in that book, he uses an illustration of a rocket ship. And he talks about how when a rocket ship blasts off, and it begins to move into outer space, that the first, and I don't know how far it is before they break out of the atmosphere, but the first 10 miles, let's say, that rocket must expend incredible energy in order to break out of the Earth's atmosphere. In fact, all the fuel that you see, most of the fuel that you can see uh, in that large cylinder that a shuttlecraft sets on top of, Almost all of that fuel is expended in that long cylinder in order to take that rocket ship the first 10 miles. Now the interesting thing is, is that after it breaks out of the atmosphere and after it goes those first 10 miles and breaks out of there, it takes very little energy for it to go as far as you ultimately would like to go. So you're expending great energy the first 10 miles, but if you'll break through that atmospheric barrier, it takes extremely little energy in order for you to fly to the moon, to get to another planet, or to ultimately go somewhere else in the universe. I use that illustration because when you're trying to implement change of any kind in your life, the front end of this change will take incredible energy. The first 10 miles of your journey, wherever it is that you're trying to go, whatever area of life you're trying to address, whatever dysfunctionality you're trying to change, whatever relationship you're trying to put back into order, the first 10 miles of that change will take incredible energy. But if you'll follow through and you'll stay motivated, once you break through and you begin to reform the correct habits and actions, it's amazing how... Let's just say it takes a year. Just for the sake of argument, it takes a year in order to bring correction to some area of dysfunctionality. If you will invest that unbelievable energy for one year, you might be able to walk with relatively little energy being spent in that area for the next 50 years. Are you following me? That's the power of a habit. So this morning I want to talk a little bit about motivation, a little bit about energy. And I've entitled our message this morning, Maintaining Your Motivation for Wholeness. Maintaining Your Motivation for Wholeness. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Philippians 2 and 12. And I want to read you some verses here that uh, most people have heard, but I'm going to um, share just a little bit. It's not really a different angle, but I'm going to unfold a couple of things here that I think will help you a lot in Philippians 2 and verse 12. If you brought your Bible today and you found Philippians 2, say amen. Amen. All right, very good. I know the guys will put some things on the screen, but Philippians 2 and 12, let me read it. It says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Maintaining your motivation for wholeness. Now in Philippians chapter 2, there are two concepts in these verses that I want you to be sure you understand and we get a hold of before we 
start talking about how to be motivated. The first one, we would think we'd understand, but I want to make sure all of us have it in the room this morning. The first one is the word salvation. Salvation. The word for salvation is much larger than you getting to go to heaven. Now, for a lot of us that grew up in church circles and church life, when we hear the word salvation, we automatically think of the eternal thing. That Jesus died, we received him, and as we receive him, he forgives us of our sins, we've repented, and then we receive salvation. And it is true, that is a part of the package of salvation, and it's an amazing part that you and I can be saved for eternity. But salvation in the biblical sense really has a, a, a much broader and even, I might even say greater, although although that I don't want that to be confused that somehow I would say something's greater than eternal salvation, but, but greater in the sense that the expansiveness of it is far greater because salvation in, in the original language has to deal with not only eternal life, but it has to deal with the quality of life. Salvation has to deal with not just your eternal existence, But it deals with your existence even now as I'm talking to you. Salvation biblically encompasses the concepts of deliverance, uh, preservation, soundness or healthiness, prosperity, happiness, general well-being. That's why the Bible says on numerous occasions usually three things that are the three different aspects that we all know or should know. Uh, in regards to salvation, the Bible says that we are saved, we are being saved, and we shall be saved. You'll find all of those phrases in the Bible, and all three of those things are absolutely true, and all three of those things are provided for us by what Jesus did on the cross. Now, in my opinion, and listen to me carefully, in my opinion, we have statement one and statement three down real well. We have pretty much understood that we are saved. We've understood the need for evangelism, the need for proclaiming the gospel, the need for people to come to the cross, to find forgiveness, to turn from their sins, to be able to to receive the Lord and His promise and inheritance of eternal life. So we've got number one down, I think, pretty well. I think we've got number three down fairly well, too. We shall be saved because... Because there are a lot of ministries out there that love to talk about the second coming of the Lord. They love to talk about how Jesus is going to come for his church. And one of these days we're going to see him face to face. And even if you and I were to experience our last enemy death, that even through the transition of death, we're going to be absent in body, but to be present with the Lord. And and so there's an aspect of salvation that will take place even then. So, So statement one, we are saved. And statement three, we shall be saved. I think we've done pretty well at. But it's that second statement that I think oftentimes gets overlooked. Because it's statement number two, we are being saved, that most of us have to deal with on a daily basis. We struggle with that. We have no problem believing that God will save us and has saved us. We have no problem believing that when that day comes, when we see Him face to face, there'll be another aspect of that salvation. But the problem is, how do you walk this out day to day with a sense of victory, a sense of wholeness, a sense of peace, a sense of freedom? You see, that's the part we don't really have a good handle on. And it's the part I want to work with this morning. 
So salvation is the first concept. The second concept is the word work. There are a lot of four-letter words that a lot of people don't like. Unfortunately, this is one of them. Work. Work. Paul says two things. Listen now. He says, God is working in us both to will... So listen to me. He says, God's working in the believer. He's working in you to want to something. Are you following me? So God's in you, working in you to want something. The want to. He's working in us both to will and to do. So God's working in us to want to do something and to really do something. God's working in us His good pleasure. However... Paul says, we must work out. And I have come to the conclusion that that means that you and I have to put some energy into what it means to walk out our salvation. In other words, there are no, there's no such thing as a Christian couch potato. You can't just say, well, I'm saved and if God wants me to do it, he'll just make me do it. I'll never forget years ago, bless her heart, there was a lady, this is years ago, she was an organist. This was back in the day when we still had a, you know, a piano and an organist. And bless her heart, she, she was a good lady, loved the Lord and all the rest. And I'll never forget, she told a story one day, stood up and testified, that she was up in front of the mirror getting ready for the morning, still in her bathrobe, just got out of the shower, hadn't put all her makeup on yet, hadn't fixed herself up, just, just... You know, getting started. And she said, the Lord just grabbed me by the nap of the neck and threw me out the door. Now, as she was giving this testimony, I was just watching the congregation. And you should, you should have seen the faces of the congregation. They're going, she, he just picked me by the nap of the neck and threw me out the door. Just threw me in my car. Forced me to turn my car on. Drive down to this house. I had to march out in my bathrobe, no makeup or anything. And I thought to myself right then, sweet Jesus, I know that couldn't be you. I, I, I mean, I, I, it's just, it was, it, it was, and it was so abrupt and it was just, and, 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 but in her mind, anything that happened to her in her mind had to be sort of forced on her by, by the sovereignty of God. Now, I believe God's sovereign and I believe man is free. And you say, well, how does that work together? I don't know. I just call it a mystery. But I know this much, you just can't, you can't wait for God just to grab you by the nap of the neck and throw you into something. I mean, I've had people say, well, if God wants me, if God would want me to do that, he just, he just, if God wants me to speak in a heavenly language, he's just going to have to grab my tongue. Well, it, it just isn't going to happen that way. You're going to have to cooperate. You're going to have to respond. You're going to have to want to. And so there is a, a, an energy that has to be invested in order to walk out the promises of God. And Paul recognizes that the Lord is in his people. The Lord is initiating his work in your life. That's what we call the grace of God. And I'm just going to stop right here and say the grace of God is not the get out of free card that you get on the Monopoly board. The grace of God, if you'll study it all through the scriptures, is an empowering force in your life that causes you to walk in victory. Grace does not excuse you from your sin or disobedience. Grace empowers you to overcome these things. That's why His grace is sufficient. That is why when I am weak, He is strong. 
You see, it's not that his, his grace is sufficient, so therefore I'm absolved for anything my life might do. Absolutely not. When you are weak, he is strong, his grace is sufficient. And when you can't suck it up, God's grace will enable you to be victorious. And we've got to, folks, my, my, one of my life's missions is to get grace preached right in this era. That's just one of my missions. So understand, the Lord is initiating His work in your life. He is inside of you both to will, the want to, and to do His good pleasure. That's the grace of God. But you've got to understand that as the grace of God is empowering you, you've got to respond. You've got to cooperate. He's not talking that your eternal salvation is bound up in works or merit. We're all thoroughly Protestant here, so we all understand it is by grace through faith we are saved. We've got it. We've got it. But he's connecting your quality of life. Your quality of life is your willingness to respond to the grace of God that's working inside of you and whether or not you're going to put some energy into what he's trying to do inside of you. You're going to have to want to be at peace. You're going to have to want to have your joy. You're going to have to want to be abundant. You're going to have to want to prosper. You're going to have to want to. And by the way, you're going to have to get up off your blessed assurance and start moving in that thing. Amen. I don't work to be saved. But to walk in all that God has for me, I'm just here to tell you, it takes a lot of energy. Obedience takes energy. Are you following me? No couch potatoes. No couch potatoes. Not if you want to live an abundant Christian life. I was recently reading a book, and I'm not going to give the title. I'm just not going to do it. But I was was reading a book recently that that uh, a minister friend of mine suggested that I read. And it was about grace. And it had a subtitle on it that just fascinated me. Now, I'm just going to read to you the subtitle. If I, if I gave you the title, you might instantly recognize it. I know no one ever reads the subtitle. So. so the subtitle of the book said this. Listen. It said, The Secret to Effortless Success. Wholeness. And victorious living. Man, I saw that. I said, the secret to effortless success. Effortless wholeness. Effortless victorious living. I said to myself, have mercy. I need to pay the $29.95 for that thing. I read the book about halfway. And I'll be honest. A lot of what the author said was certainly true. I don't debate that some of what he said was true but that subtitle in my opinion was misleading because even that author believed you had to practice what god says are his precepts now i don't know where he got effortless at but i know for some people to get them to change their confession takes an act of god and it takes effort It takes effort to think about what you're saying, to think about what's about ready to come out of your mouth. It takes effort. It takes effort to read your Bible to get something inside of you so that you have something to say. It takes effort. It takes effort to pray. I don't know about you, but prayer is work at times. 
It takes effort. So anytime you want abundant life, you're going to have to put some energy and some effort into some things in order for you to go ultimately where God would want you to be. Years ago, I pastored, this is years and years ago, in Oakland, California. And a part of what I did there was that at least once a week I would go down to downtown Oakland. And, uh, you know, some people say that, that there are cities that are armpits. I can tell you right now, Oakland, California is one of the armpits of this nation. It is terrible. It is the drug capital, I think, of the world, next to Miami. I guess Miami may be the other one, but I mean, Oakland, Oakland was, it was terrible. But I would go down to downtown Oakland, and there was a rescue mission rehab center that was there. It was actually a Christian mission. It was called Penile Mission. And uh, I, would, I would spend some time down there with the guys. It was a, a men's rehab rescue mission. And predominantly those that were involved in that mission, it started years ago and they dealt with those that had alcoholic issues years ago. But, but uh, as of recent years, it dealt with those that were addicted to crack cocaine. And there in the late 80s, crack cocaine was just then beginning to get popular. And so most of the guys that were in the program were trying to break free and get free from their addiction to crack cocaine. And so I would go down there once, maybe twice a week, and I would teach Bible studies and do some other things in order to work with these young men. And I started to notice, after I was there long enough, that you would see people begin to, what I call, bolt from the program. About four to six months after they get started, and can I just share this with you, that most people get into that program because the pain of their life had increased to such a level that they could no longer endure the pain. They knew something had to change. And so their pain got them into the program. They were in it for about four to six months. Their pain levels would begin to decrease. In other words, life was getting a little bit better. They weren't dysfunctional. They had a roof over their head. They had three square meals a day. They had solid friends. Things were looking a lot better for them. But at about the four to six month time period, I was noticing that a lot of the guys would bolt from the program. They would just one, you'd get up one morning and uh, somebody would have left sometime in the middle of the night. And I saw this happen two, three times until I finally pulled one of the guys off to the side and I asked him why. I said, why is that? Why would, why would all of a sudden these guys just suddenly leave? And understand I was probably in my late 20s at that particular time and so I was fairly naive to the drug culture. But I'll never forget one of those young men looked at me and he said, he said they bolted because they started to hear the voices. I said, the voices? He said, yeah, when you're addicted to crack, he said, you'll begin to hear the voices. It'll talk to you. And it'll be quiet from about four to six months. But all of a sudden, that crack will start calling you. It'll start calling you and beckoning you and you begin to hear the voice. And, and, and finally, it would be so strong that you couldn't take it anymore. And, and, and you'd leave even that which was trying to help you, that which was good for you. You would respond to that particular voice. And I never forgot his explanation of that. And I began to think about that. And I suddenly realized that every dysfunction we face as human beings has a voice. Yours may not be crack cocaine, but there's a voice that comes and beckons you. Back to your dysfunction. There's a moment, and, and you'll have three months, four months, where everything seems to be in order. But there'll come a moment 
after the, the pain of what brought you to help finally goes away, there'll be a moment that voice will begin to speak to you again. It'll begin to whisper inside of you. For some of you, it's the voice of anger that says, go ahead. It's okay to get angry like that. For some of you, it's jealousy. Go ahead. It's okay for you to do that. For some, it's rejection. For others, it's envy. For others, it's competition. For others, it's depressions and discouragements. For others, it's lust. For others, it's pride. But those voices, after just a few months, will begin to talk to you again. And it will begin to beckon you back to that place that you had left. I need to share this with you that all of us have those voices that come to us on occasion and it's going to take some energy. Yes, the grace of God, yes, but it's going to take some energy for you to begin to shut down the voice and for you to keep walking out your victory. The Bible says there is no temptation that the Lord cannot bring you through. There's nothing that comes your way that you can't make your way through. I believe in a victorious gospel. I believe when you are weak, He is strong. I believe His grace is sufficient. However, I must do the things that are required of me in obedience. And that takes energy. And it takes motivation. And it takes understanding how that works in your life as God is working in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. I'll just say it again. I wrote it down here. You have to stay in His Word. That takes energy. It takes energy to get up early in the morning and get in His Word. It takes energy to make a good confession. It takes energy to pray and seek God. It takes energy to be in the house of God where it says, the Scripture says, you'll be encouraged and edified. It takes energy to say to yourself, I will be taught. It takes energy when you want a fellowship with people and the relationship of the saints. Can I just tell you this? For me, it takes incredible energy to hang around people. That's, that's, that's work. Maybe it's easy for you, but there are areas that are easy for me that may be difficult for you. But you're going to have to implement certain precepts in your life. Whether it's relational, spiritual, the combination of the two, you're going to have to implement certain precepts that are going to take energy, it's going to take motivation, and when the voices come and the challenge comes, and I'll assure you it will, it's going to take incredible intestinal fortitude in the grace of God to begin to press through that. I believe that. Now, I want to give you enemies, some enemies to your motivation. I have seen this happen more times than I can count. People are motivated to change. Again, usually it's through pain. I wish I could tell you people change because they just see the need. Most people don't change because they see a need. They change because it ain't working. There's pain. And, and, and so they get to the place. They're motivated to change. They're ready to get serious about getting life good again. They, they, they charge out of the gate on this new path and suddenly they're confronted by some enemies and in just a short time they're in a ditch because they could not maintain their motivation for change they got a great start but somewhere as they're pursuing the Lord and as God's working in them somehow or another they got off track and they're back in a ditch and I believe there may be there may be a hundred enemies for all I know I'm just going to give you four that seem to be the primary enemies in people's life that get them 
unmotivated, off the track, and back into a ditch. Number one is this. I call it fatigue. Just natural, simple fatigue. Tired eyes rarely see things right. When you are tired, there is no energy to work on the things you should be doing. People's marriage, people's relationship, people's family life falls apart because they're working three jobs, seven days a week. They get four hours of sleep every night. And they'll come and talk to me and say, I don't get why life isn't working. You, you don't have to get a PhD to start figuring some things out. They can't hardly find time to eat, much less practice those things that make for success. If you're tired, you just need sometimes to get some rest. It's amazing how life can look different when you're just rested. That's why usually most fights happen when? Are you hearing me? And in the morning, you say to yourselves, what were we fighting about? It's because you're rested. Fatigue is one of those enemies. And I realize sometimes your adrenaline gets pumping, especially if we're talking about a fight. I mean, once the old adrenaline kicks in, I mean, sometimes it's just, it's, it's hard to stop. But if you can just for a moment begin to say to yourself, I don't need to step into this while I'm tired. I need to wait until I got a little rest. And once I'm rested, I'm probably going to process these things in God even a whole lot better than I am right now. Tired eyes rarely even hears from God right. So fatigue is number one. Number two, you're, you may be attempting too many things at the same time. Sometimes you have to simplify your life and lose what you think is so important in order to implement what is critical. Paul said, this one thing I do. You must decide what matters most to you. And then you also must discern what is the least important. And you need to recognize what God says are your priorities for success and lose the rest. You can't have the schedule that I just mentioned to you when I was talking about fatigue. You can't have that kind of schedule, you know, forever and think somehow or another that, that it's going to work. Something's got to change. Something's got to be rearranged. Priorities have to be reset. And if you're trying to do too many things at the same time, you're going to find out that nothing much is going to happen very well. You've got to prioritize what is important. For our house, and obviously you would say, well, you're a pastor. That should be how it works. But I can tell you, I can tell you when, when I was going through school and when I was doing the things, preparing for the ministry, and I had a small family, I can tell you right now that there were certain things we committed to doing in order to make sure we were successful in these uh, prioritized areas. That doesn't mean, I, you know, I, I can always use more money. Is there anyone here that couldn't use more money? Sure, I could use more money. I, I, maybe I'd like a bigger house. I'd like an extra car. I'd like a few toys. I'm not saying these things are wrong, but there comes a moment when we're working for stuff instead of working for what really counts. And so we've got to begin to ask ourselves the question, how many houses can I live in at the same time? How many cars can I drive at the same time? I mean, we've got to ask ourselves these questions. Is this interfering with what's really important in our or my life? Are we, is all that's going on getting us to where we ultimately need to be? And sometimes we're doing too many things, spinning too many plates, and we've just got to cut some things loose. Number three, this is an enemy to your motivation. Number three, it's maintaining unhealthy relationships. 
maintaining unhealthy relationships. Ask yourself some questions. You don't have to answer out loud, please. Listen to me. Who drains you, drains you emotionally? Who has become a parasite in your life? Who is disrespectful in their conversations with you? Now, you don't have to get ugly and you don't have to get angry. But this is what I'm beginning to believe. It's taken me 50 years. I'm going to be 50 years old in just a few months. But I've started to come to this opinion. I'm not going to carry people who don't want to be carried. I'm not going to go down with those who are drowning. Are you following? There are some, I'll try to help anybody and I love everybody. But you know what? You can only really interact with those who have the want to and the desire to get where they need to go. I want people in my life just like you want people in your life that are positive and a blessing, don't you? Don't you really want people who, who can encourage and help and be positive? All of us have a finite amount of time. Why waste it with critical negative people who are drowning and what they're wanting is for you to jump in the ocean with them so they have somebody to go down with. And there are certain relationships you have that are keeping you from going forward. And you need to begin to evaluate those particular relationships and ask yourself, is this really a relationship that I need to keep? That is why oftentimes when you first get saved, God will cut off all your relationships at first. The reason He does that is that He knows that if you begin to hook in and up with those people again, they will suck you back into their alternate universe. And they will drag you down with them. So y'all can now look at each other and say, look where we are. Let me, as far as I'm concerned, I'll look where you are. I intend to stay up here. So there are relationships that are unhealthy, that, that, that begin to leaven and begin to pull us. And, and when we maintain those, sometimes they aren't very helpful. Now I know what people say. They say, well, I'm reaching out. Well, that's fine. You reach out. Just make sure you're the one reaching out and pulling them up. That they aren't reaching out and pulling you down. You better keep a real good pulse on that one. Because that'll, I've seen too many people get pulled right back into their dysfunction because of the unhealthy relationships. Number four, another enemy, refu refusing to seize your atmosphere. Refusing to seize your atmosphere. Now, again, there could be a hundred other things. These are the big ones. One of my favorite books that I always read on occasion is a book by a Viennese psychoanalyst by the name of Viktor Frankl, who, who, who was in Hitler's Germany during World War II. And he was thrown into a concentration camp. And it was the perfect place for a sociologist because he could see humanity at their worst and at really their best at times. And in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, he begins to tell of his experiences in the Nazi concentration camps and one of the things that Frankel says in the midst of all of that, now think about your atmosphere in a concentration camp. It doesn't get much worse than that. People dying around you, people diseased around you, people emaciated around you, horrific injustices being perpetrated upon you in a concentration camp. But he began, as he, as he began to just observe what was taking place, the thing that he began to see in all of that was the fact that the one thing that the Germans could not take away from him as a Jewish person 
was his ability to choose his attitude. He said, that was the last of my freedoms. You could take away my business. You could take away my homes. You could take away my family. You could take away most of my freedoms. But I get to retain the freedom to choose how I will believe. I can retain my ability to choose how I will think and how I will view all of these things. And he began to write about this very thing. And he, he began to see that those who chose to believe in God and those who chose to believe in possibility and those who chose to believe of a better day, they survived it, but those who did not succumb to it. And here's the point I'm trying to make. You can either be a victim in your environment or you can choose to be victorious in your environment. I know, I know you hate your job, you hate your career, you hate your school, you hate where you're at, you just name it, you hate it, but here's the point. God may not deliver you out of it until you get the victory in you first. In other words, you can go to the most God-awful, God-forsaken place and God can give you the victory in that place. He can send you back to that family. He can send you back to that marriage. He can send you back to that place. He can send you back because He wants victory in here. You're not this, this victim to your environment. Listen to me, if America turns into this socialistic, secular, godless society, I won't like it. It's not my uh, prayer. It's not my particular priority. I want it to be different, but I can still be victorious in this nation no matter what goes on in Washington, D.C. We're going to have to get that, church. We've got to get it at that level and we've got to get it at our personal levels. My environment is not going to create who I am. My environment is not going to mold me in how I look at things. And I'm telling this to you right now because some of you right now, you've got these dysfunctions and you just keep saying to yourself, oh, if I could just get out of this situation, if I could just get out of this place, if I could just get out of this school or this environment or, 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 or this career or this job, if I could just get out, my dysfunction would go away. No, it wouldn't. It's the same principle that says if you get rid of this spouse and you get another spouse, you're going to find out they've got the same issues as your old one. Because we're all dysfunctional. You've got to get to the place where you say, Lord, I'd really like a change in my life and I'm believing you for change. But until change comes, I will not allow this environment to create who I am in you. Are you with me? Refusing. You refuse to seize your atmosphere. You're going to find yourself in a lot of trouble. So how are we going to stay motivated? Get your pencils out. I'm going to go through this super fast. How to stay motivated and energized. You're responsible for yourself. Nobody else is responsible for motivating you. You realize that, don't you? Nobody else, nobody's assigned to you to keep you bounced up. Nobody else is responsible for motivating you toward your goal or your desire. You are accountable for your own gifts, your own skill, your own talent. You're responsible to seize and make the most of every opportunity. Others may come along and help you and thank God for those moments. But you know what? They have burdens too. They have goals and they have desires too. Their life's call is not just to keep your nose above the waterline. You've got to stop waiting. You've got to stop waiting for your spouse to get right so you can get right. 
You, you got to stop. You just got to stop. You got to stop waiting for someone else to get right so you can get right. Someone else to get victory so you can get it. If this happened, then I would get it. We got to stop this stuff. You need to decide now the direction you want to go in life. You have to decide now the attitude you want to carry. You've got to decide now how you're going to define success. And I have learned, sometimes the hard way, that success is not necessarily everything that's, that's accrued around me, but that success at times is the amount of peace and the amount of joy and, and the amount of contentment and satisfaction that you can find at the moment you're at. That's worth a lot. So I'm going to give you ten practical ways. Write these down because I can't spend a lot of time on each one. We're going to fly through these ten practical ways. You ought to write them down. They're going to help you come out of your dysfunction and begin to walk in some wholeness. Number one, simple things. You need to find a picture or an object that keeps uh, where you want to be before you. If, if you wonder why we keep pictures of a new church out in the foyer and I keep plans up on the wall in the office... It's because for me, it's important as I walk by these things on occasion to keep in front of me where it is I am going. I need something tangible. Vision is a wonderful thing. And uh, vision starts with you getting a vision for your life. Some of you need to start with a vision for your personal wholeness. And maybe you can go uh, cut a picture out of a magazine of a healthy, smiling couple or a healthy, smiling family. And just kind of put it up on your refrigerator. And it just kind of embodies the look that you're headed for. Now we all know nobody's perfect. But, but it gives you a picture that you can keep in front of your eyes. So when you wake up in the morning. And you drop your feet on the floor. And the, and the enemy's trying to speak to you. And those voices are coming. All you have to do is go get yourself a Coke. And right there on the refrigerator. Is this picture that can begin to remind you that's where I'm headed. That's where I'm going. And by God's grace, as He wills and works in me, I'm, I'm going to get there. Praise God. What represents where you're headed? What represents where you're going? What represents what it is that God's wanting you to break free from? I think you could find something and post it to keep it before your eyes. It, it, you know, Habakkuk said, write the vision, make it plain. So he who reads it can run with it. Well, it's not only for others to read and run, it's for you to see and to believe. That's number one. Number two, you've got to learn to speak encouragement out loud to yourself. Speak encouragement out loud to yourself. Words create currents. Words create currents. Currents in your emotions, currents in your home, currents in your mind, currents in your life. You need to understand that when you speak words, it begins to move. Things begin to move in your life. Paul said these words, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He didn't say I can do some things, I can do many things. He said, I can do all things. Don't say I can't overcome this area. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. The minute you say I don't, I don't believe it, I don't think I can do it, you're defeated already. You have got to begin to say over and over again, yes, I can be whole. Yes, I can break these thought patterns. Yes, I can establish new habits. Yes, I can invest the energy. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. 
whom the Bible says has been given as a surety or as a down payment in our lives. So don't tell me God dwells in you and then say you can't. That's hogwash. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Number three, you need to identify what has gone wrong in your life. Why would I put that one in there? It's because you need to see clearly where you have gone wrong. Now, there's an old story, you know, about the guy who goes down a a street and he falls in a hole. And the next day he comes and he falls in the hole. And the third day he comes and he falls in the hole. And I, I don't even know how the joke goes. You probably know the joke. But there comes a moment when you've got to wake up and realize there's a hole on that street. Find a different street. You've got to figure out what street you're on that keeps you falling in that hole. Choose a different street. You've got to identify what's gone wrong in your life. Because a lot of life isn't, isn't that all of a sudden God comes through and just blasts you out. Sometimes it's as simple as, don't do that. Go down this street. It's amazing how life will work out so much better. Number four, monitor your environment. Monitor your environment. If, you, if where you are is draining your motivation to follow God. Now I understand you can't always leave where you're at. But you need to start beginning to pray and understand how God works in the environment. If where you are at is draining your motivation to follow God, then start to ask the Lord to help you find a way to change it. You, gotta, we just, you have not because you ask not. You're not relegated all the time to a lifetime in an environment, a job environment or whatever environment it may be. You need to ask God to help you find a way in Him to begin to change Those draining environments. You say, every time I go to work, it's just like I'm getting pounded and hit. Well, number one is you've got to change internally how it is you're going to speak and how it is you're going to think and practice all of those things. And maybe you do need to find a new job. Well, begin to pray about it. Begin to seek God. And you know what? God will begin to move for you. Number five, eliminate specific things that cause distraction. There will always be reasons not to do what you know needs to be done. Always reasons. There'll always be reasons. I, I just will assure you that the enemy, the God of this world, he will, he will keep so many distractions in front of you in order to keep you from doing what ultimately you need to do in order to keep yourself whole and right. I mean, is it not true? There are a thousand reasons that you don't really need to be at Connect Group. A thousand reasons you don't really... I mean, we could, you got to shop, you got you to gotta do this, you got to do a project, you got homework, you got this, that, the other. I mean, there's a thousand reasons, I suppose, on a Sunday. You don't have to be in the house of God. There are a thousand reasons why you don't have to read your Bible in the morning because if this is before you. A thousand reasons you don't have to find time to pray. Let me tell you, there's a thousand reasons for everything. It's a matter of you choosing what's important in your life. You're acting like everyone else is controlling you and you've got no control. God's in you to choose what it is you need to do. And if there are things that aren't helping you get there, maybe they're good things. Maybe they aren't even evil things. But maybe for a season you need to even lose it in order that you can begin to put in place those things that can help you get to where you're headed. 
So eliminate specific things that cause distraction. Number six, you've got to understand what awakens your enthusiasm and energy. Understand what awakens your enthusiasm and energy. You know, one of the things we do, and, 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 and Tracy in our household is the point person for this, but at our house, really, there's a lot of time. Now, it's always like on Sunday, especially Sunday morning, um, but even through the week, especially in the mornings, uh, Tracy will put preaching on. I mean, we, we can tell you just about what channel, who comes on, and, and what they're talking about, and where they are in their series. And, and so we have that playing a lot in our household. Now, you may ask the question, why do you have that playing in your household? I mean, doesn't she get enough from living with you that she doesn't need any more preaching in her life? Well, you would think so, but no, no, I, I am not the, the, you know, limitless well. But you put that on in your house and what happens is it awakens your passion. It awakens your enthusiasm. For some of you, it may be reading. For some of you, it may be playing maybe worship CDs and other things. I don't know what awakens your enthusiasm and your energy, especially when it comes to pursuing the will of God. But you all need to stop and identify for a moment. When am I enthused? When am I energized? When am I motivated? And whenever you begin to identify that, then you know what? Plug it in more. And if you'll plug it in more... You'll begin to keep your enthusiasm and your energy up, even though you face, I know, circumstances that deplete you and want to tear you down. Number seven, everybody needs to sing songs of praise and worship. I cannot help, but I'll sing. I'm not a good singer. You don't give me the microphone. I'm not a good singer. I mean, it's that bad. But I'll tell you, in the car, in the shower, I'll sing the lights out. And I, I want you to know that in my mind, I'm singing before thousands of people. And I mean, it is incredible. It's always incredible in the car. And it's always incredible in the shower. It is terrible in here. But it is incredible in the car. And you can't help but feel better. Oh, come on. I'm going to worship you forever. I'm not ashamed of you. Man, you start singing that and it gets in you. You need to sing songs of praise and worship. Don't be singing those, don't be singing those songs where, you know, they lost their wife and they, their pickup truck is broke down and they're going to get their husband out of prison. And I mean, and you know every word to that stuff. When we come to the house of God and we play the songs, the songs of the king and we look there Come on, there, there, there's, there's connection to these things. This cures the problem with where we are focusing. Instead of focusing on me, I begin to focus on Him. Number eight, choose the vocabulary of a victor and not a victim. God gave you a mouth to conquer your mind. Isn't that good news? I mean, I often have said, Lord, you've heard me say this, Lord, I didn't need a heart change, I needed a brain transplant. I mean, my heart seems good, it's my brain that gets me in trouble. But here's the good news, God may have put a brain in you that causes you difficulty, but He put a mouth on you too to overcome it. Your words, your words determine the thoughts that will lay hold in your mind. Your words decide how others will even see you. I'm not going to take Trace's thunder on this one. 
But, but she got a revelation a couple weeks ago about how you see yourself. You know, when the spies came back, it's going to be your message, honey. I'm not going to preach your message. I promise you, just, just 60 seconds. I can't leave them hanging. You get the whole hour, but you know, when those spies came back, they said, we've, they said as we went in, we saw ourselves as grasshoppers. Therefore, they saw us as grasshoppers. I'm telling you how you see yourself will determine a lot of times how others begin to view you. And let me just say that, that your vocabulary needs to change from I can't and I won't and I don't see how to yes I can and we are well able and there's more than enough. I mean, you got to choose your vocabulary. Your vocabulary is very important. There's spiritual power in those words and you need to choose the vocabulary of a victor and not a victim. Number nine, you need to identify people who drain you and people who ignite you. Figure out who helps you and figure out who hurts you. And make sure the ones who help get the most access to your life. You don't have to be a doormat for anybody. You can begin to seize. Now I'm not talking, you don't have to be angry again. You don't have to be you don't have to be outrageous. You don't have to be sarcastic or snippy. You can be gentle and kind. But you've got to figure out who it is you want to have access into your life and begin to determine whether they're helping you get to the will of God or whether they're trying to keep you from the will of God. And you know what? There are some people, I'll just say it, we need to lose. We love them. We care about them. We want life to be different. But sometimes... You just got to lose some folk. I, I, Mike Murdoch said something I'll never forget one time. He said, when wrong people leave your life, wrong things stop happening. And when right people enter your life, right things begin to happen. And so we need to begin to monitor those areas of our life. And then finally, number 10, find some ways to get rest, experience fun, and enjoy life. Do you know why Joyce Meyer is successful? And, and this even goes to Joel Osteen as well. And I'm not saying that they're the greatest biblical theologians that have ever come across our paths. I'm not saying that, but I can tell you why they're successful. They have tapped into the truth that people want to figure out how to enjoy life and how it can work right. Now, I would do it a little bit differently than them, but they still hit the truth of what people are really searching for, I believe, out there. They want to figure out a way that life will begin to work right. And I'm telling you, it's not just by a positive attitude, it's by, it's by precept. And when you begin to plug in the precept, you're going to begin to see life working better. Now, let me just share this and then I'm done. And it's really an incredible thought. Jesus was on the brink, listen, of losing his motivation in the Garden of Gethsemane. I believe this to be true. You say, well, how, how would you know that? Do you really believe that? Yes, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, think about it. When he went into the garden, he prayed the prayer. He said, if it be possible, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Now, I know, I know he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I understand that. But do you understand for him to utter those words? That there was something going on 
inside that he was beginning even at that moment saying, I don't, I don't know that I have it in me. I don't know that, that I really would like to do this. But yet, as he was in the garden and he goes through that incredible excruciating moment in the garden, what did he do? The Bible says that he prayed and he prayed for strength and he prayed for resiliency in the most important hour he was to ever face. And I'm just looking at some of you and I'm telling you this morning, I too have wanted to quit on occasion. There are moments that you want to toss in the towel, you want to, you want to wave the white flag, and you want to say, I quit. I quit, I quit, I quit. I don't like this. I don't want to do this anymore. I just, I don't, I don't want any part of this anymore. And, and when you reach that place, what really you're saying at that particular moment is, is that number one, you have no more energy, and number two is you've lost all your motivation. You say, well, what, what do you do? Well, some of the things I just told you, you need to begin to implement. But the bottom line is this, you need to get on your knees before God. And one more time, tap into He who works in you to both will and to do His good pleasure. And remember what it's all about. Because it's not about you, is it? And it's not about me. I really wish I could say it was about me. It's really not about me. And it's not about you. It's all about Him. He may have you at the place you're at right now, not because it tickles your flesh, but because that's where He wants you. See, it's not about you. It's about Him. It's not your plan for your life and He's just facilitating it. It's His plan and His purpose for your life and we're being obedient to it. That little twist right there is an incredible liberator if you'll let it begin to take place in your life. Now, this is what I believe the Lord wants us to do this morning and we're done. In fact, why don't we all stand right now? Would you please just stand with me? In the last few weeks, I've not had a, a conventional invitation like we've usually done here at Legacy. But this morning, I'm, I'm going to have an invitation here in just a minute. But this is what the invitation is for. It's for some of you right now, you would, you would be honest enough simply to say, you know what, I've lost my motivation, I've lost some energy, and I, 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 I'm not... I'm not wanting to quit. I'm not wanting to throw in the towel. I'm not wanting to stop what I know the Lord's asking me to do. But I'll be honest with you, Pastor. I'm, I'm just exhausted. I'm, seem, I'm feeling like I'm at the end of my rope. I'm just at the bottom of the barrel. And I just, I just need to recharge. I need to, I need to refuel. I, 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 I need something to stir me again on the inside that will cause me to complete what it is that's been started. You know, my favorite verse is Philippians 1 and 6, which says this. It says that he who hath begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Now listen to me. God wants to complete his work in your life. But you're going to have to give him your cooperation and your responsiveness and your obedience. You're going to have to follow through. You're going to have to set alarm clocks. You're going to have to put things on your refrigerator. You're going to have to keep your mouth shut when you want to say the wrong thing and you're going to have to open up your mouth in order to say the right thing. God will come through in amazing ways. But not if you're just going to sit on the couch 
and just sort of veg out and say, well, if God wants it for me, I guess he'll get it here somehow. You're going to miss it. You're going to miss it. You're going to miss it. And right now, there are some of you right now, you're exhausted. I respect that. But I'm telling you, it is at this point that as you, as you move past the place of even your enthusiasm and you get to the place of discipline, I believe oftentimes that's the place of miracle. You were just obedient because it was the thing to do. It wasn't because you felt like it. It wasn't because you were in an emotional moment. You did it because it was the right thing to do. And at that moment, God moves in amazing ways. But I understand that it's real tough when you've got the towel in your hand, you've got the white flag ready to go up the pole. I understand. And so in these last moments, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray and, and, and I'm going to have Trace come down with me here and, and we're going to pray for people here in these last few moments. And the ones I want to pray for, here's, here's what it's all about. I want you to be sincerely desirous of the will of God in your life. That's number one. I, you sincerely want the will of God in your life. And number two is you would just admit, I'm exhausted, I'm, 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 I'm feeling discouraged, I've I'm, I'm lost my hope, and I just need to feel a touch from someone that I could just latch hold of for a moment that God could use that will sort of fill me up again to get me moving in the right direction. I don't know, maybe, maybe that's a lot of people. I was amazed a couple weeks ago when I asked people how many struggled with disappointment. And I saw the hands go up and I was blown away that there's that much disappointment. Disappointment can just suck you dry. But you know what? You don't have to stay dry. You can get your hope back. And I want you to leave this place with your hope back. I want you to leave this place ready to, to put all your energies into what God is doing inside of you so that you might see a better day. So right now, I'm just going to ask right now, Grace, why don't you just, you just slip out and just come up here so you don't have to work your way through the folks. But right now, I just want to ask you, if that's you, you just say, you know what, I just need a, a, a touch. I need someone to pray for me. I need, I need my hope back. I want my hope back. Before you go, I want to pray for you especially because I want you to make it. I, I really do. I want you to, to succeed. I want you to, to find a better day. I want you to turn the page on the chapter you're in just need some hope again just need some hope again need my hope back that's not that doesn't make you sub-spiritual listen i'm a i'm a pastor tracy will tell you the same thing man we've been we've been preaching the gospel since we were in our teens and i can't tell you the number of times i was just ready to say that's it that's it i'm done and and we had to scramble and get back and it wasn't that that we'd walked away from god it wasn't that we'd done something evil it wasn't that we'd been disobedient it was just that it was it was it was difficult i really wish that author was true i wish there was a secret to effortless success effortless success wouldn't that be cool i know the grace of god is is amazing but i've got to cooperate i know that how about anyone else anyone else these last moments Guys, you can go ahead and spin a quiet time disc just for a minute in the back. Thank you, Lord. I want to pray for everyone. And then here's what we're going to do. You just walk through the line here. Everybody that's down front, I want you just to stay here for a few moments, all right? Don't, don't you go anywhere until we can touch you, until someone touches you. 
Grace, why don't you go ahead and get started. Just go ahead and you can pray with some of the women. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray in congregation. If you'd like to, to hang out here in the sanctuary, you're at liberty to do that. I would ask that you just kind of keep your fellowship down just a little bit inside of the sanctuary so we can pray for these folks. And if you want to fellowship more, you can go out into the foyer. But let me, let me pray, and then if you need to be released, you can, you can slip out this morning. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the people of God. I thank you, Lord, that you're creating in us. Lord, a, uh, a new ability to overcome, a new ability to prevail and be triumphant. Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that whether folks came down front or whether they're still right where they are, Lord, I pray this morning that, that they would have ears to hear and that they would commit this morning, Lord, to living life personally, to living life in their their marriages, to living life in their households, Lord, that they would commit this morning to living life in such a way, Lord, that that it would become a, a model. We understand there's no such thing as perfect, but Lord, we can aspire to becoming a model for those that struggle and have no hope. Lord, just people need to see something that works the way it's supposed to. And Lord, I pray right now for all of us that we would begin to plug in and implement those things in our life so that we can begin to work as we were created to. Thank you for doing that. Lord, I thank you for each and every one that's here. Lord, I pray that a spirit of victory would come. Come to your people, a spirit of victory in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we just honor you, sir, and bless you in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Now, everybody that's down front now, I want you just to, to hang tight here because we're going to come pray for you. Folks, if you need to be released, you're released right now. We're glad you are here. I hope I can see many of you in the middle of the week. Guys, please play the soft music for a while. If you would, please, I appreciate that very, very much. But you're released. God bless you. We'll see you.